Genesis 39. Genesis 39, amen. It was a palatial home, a wealthy, a mansion. The owner of this home was not only a rich man, but a powerful man. An old man. And he had a young, young wife. It wasn't his first marriage. He divorced his old wife, and he married a young filly. Oh, yes, she had a past. Yes, she had a history. But she was good-looking. She was drop-dead gorgeous. And he didn't marry her for her brains. He married her for her looks. And the other great thing going for him was the man that he just hired. There's nothing like hiring good staff. There's nothing like hiring a good associate. There's nothing like having good help. Boy, you feel good when you can hire someone who's responsible. And this new hired hand was not only responsible, but he was success-oriented. Everything he touched turned to gold. And this rich old man just kept prospering. And so he promoted this young hired hand. He kept promoting him and promoting him, and the blessings just kept coming. The favor kept coming. The success just kept coming. So he promoted this young man to be his business manager. And this old man, all he had to do was sit by the swimming pool and sip lemonade all day long. He didn't have one care, one worry. All of his household affairs, all of his business dealings, all of his transactions, every care in his life was handled by his business manager. The best hiring the old man had ever done. But let's say something. We need to say something about this new hire, this business manager. He's not only smart, he's not only successful, he's not only brainy, but he's buff. He's handsome. He's a hunk. He's a young stallion. The prime of his life. And when the old man's away, cheating eyes are flirting. She starts eyeing this young hunk she starts flirting with this good-looking, handsome office manager, business manager. She begins her seductive glances, her seductive suggestions. She even says and whispers to him constantly, Hey, the old man's away. Let's go to my bed. Nobody will ever know. Just you and me. It'll be fun. I'm tired of being married to an old man. What am I sharing with you? Is, is it the stuff of uh, soap opera episodes? 
What am I sharing with you this morning? Who's the business manager? Who's the seductress? Potiphar's wife. You see, nothing is new under the sun. Don't you ever, ever think that in our X-rated culture, our sex-saturated society, that uh, it's brand new. The Bible is clear. What's happening now has happened in the past. Nothing is new under the sun. The problems that you have are the same problems the heroes of the Bible had. Nothing is new for anyone. Read with me Genesis 39, verse 6. Now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. God's got a word for us this morning from a pivotal episode in the life of Joseph. We have been preaching this summer on the life of Joseph. I could write a book upon the episodes, the divine truths that come out of this young man's life. This morning we look at another one. This word that God has for us addresses a problem that often goes unmentioned in today's church. It's often neglected. It's often ignored. But it's probably the number one hindrance in Christian lives today. What am I talking about? Sexual temptation, sexual sin. Sexual sin is one of the enemy's most powerful strategies for paralyzing your effectiveness in ministry, paralyzing your walk with God, immobilizing your relationship with the Father. It's one of the enemy's greatest strategies for ruining your life and destroying your soul. But Joseph reveals how we can be victors instead of victims. And we want to look at this episode in Joseph's life that leaps across the centuries to speak to us this morning as we share a word that I've entitled this morning, The Hebrew Hunk, The Desperate Housewife, and You. Let's dive into it this morning. Follow along with me. This is a great teaching word this morning. It's a practical word because God's word is practical. Fill in the blank with me this morning. Joseph equipped his mind to guard against sexual temptation by restricting his mind to a purity diet. A purity diet. How did Joseph respond to his seductress? Did he give in to his desires? Did he rationalize? Hey, I'm on a business trip far from home. Nobody knows me here. Nobody will know. Did uh, Joseph uh, play the blame game? You know, I come from a dysfunctional family. My parents didn't treat me right. My brothers betrayed me. I mean, uh, this is like McDonald's slogan. I deserve a break today. God will understand. Is that how Joseph responded? Genesis chapter 39, verse 8, Joseph refused. With me in charge, he told Potiphar's wife, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. He'll go on to say, but you. 
I want you to see here there's no hesitation, there's no rationalization, there's no blame game whatsoever. Immediately, Joseph refused. Refused. The issue was already settled in his mind. When should we prepare for attack through sexual temptation? When do we get equipped? When do we put up the defenses? When do we go on guard against sexual temptation? When the attack comes? Honey, sir, ma'am, you don't have enough time. It'll never happen. You do it now. You do it now. Prepare for attack now because it's going to come to pastor to pew member, <laughs> from preacher to parishioner. All of us are subject to attack. Whether you're saint or sinner, whether you're young or old, all of us are vulnerable to attack in this arena, this dimension called sex. That which God has designed that can be such a powerful force in our life for joy. It wasn't invented by Hugh Hefner. Invented by God. Designed by God. But sex is like fire. Fire is nice and cozy when it's in the fireplace. But you let that fire get out of the fireplace and you have destruction. Just talk to anybody whose home is burned down by fire. Are you with me in this? Joseph gave no hesitation. Joseph was prepared. Joseph refused. You see, sexual immorality, sexual sin, doesn't begin by slipping between the sheets in some cheap motel that you rent by the hour. Sexual sin begins where? Right up here. The greatest battle in the world right now is right up here. If you want to win over sexual temptation, win the battle. Right up here, the battle for your mind. Will you be lust-free or lustful? Jesus, in Matthew 5, 28, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus removed sin from the act and says sin begins up here. With today's sex-saturated media, you must put yourself and your family on a mental purity diet. The average American household, get a hold of this, read the screen, is tuned in to television for over eight hours each day with 77% of primetime shows including some sexual content. This morning, it was great seeing my daughter celebrate her graduation from college. We were empty nesters for a short bit, but now delightfully, and I love it, uh, I, I have my daughter, my Jenny, at home. But as I opened the refrigerator, I noticed that uh, times have changed. Um... It's not the same food in the refrigerator. There's coconut milk. There's avocados. There's guacamole. And stuff that I can't even pronounce 
in that refrigerator. Uh, because my Jenny, a college graduate, has learned proper nutrition. She's extremely selective in what goes in her body. She's extremely selective when it comes to her uh, physical diet. How is it that we can become so selective with our physical diet, yet not be selective with our mental diet? What are you feeding and feasting upon with your mind? And then you wonder why you cave in to sexual sin, sexual temptation. If you want to keep a pure mind, if you want to be on guard against sexual temptation, don't fan the flame and choose to feed and feast upon that which is pure, that which is holy, that which is good. It doesn't have to be boring, but it doesn't have to be perverted either. Watch what comes in through the ear gate. Watch what comes in through the eye gate when it comes to music, when it comes to movies, when it comes to books, and when it comes to literature, when it comes to friends, when it comes to relationship, when it comes to the world's media. I mean, guys today, uh, girls today can get tempted just driving to work what's on the billboards. I mean, you buy a gallon of milk, and I can blush when I go through the checkout lane on what's on the covers of all the magazines. Are you, are you with me in this? We're in a sex-saturated society. You need to be on guard right now. Be on guard. Be selective on what mental diet that you are on. But it's not enough to reject what is in the media. You need to renew it's not enough to reject. We also need to renew. Paul said this in Romans chapter 12, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? The psalmist put it well, Psalms 119, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We renew our mind with God's word. We renew our mind with praise and worship. We renew our mind with Christian friends who speak in godly ways. We renew our mind by being in church and hearing preaching and teaching. Renew your mind with God's will his ways, his word. You've heard me say it for years. You are what you eat. What you eat, you will become, both in the physical and in the spiritual, mental dimension. What you feed grows, and what you starve dies. Uh, do you recall the name Timothy Treadwell? Treadwell? Timothy Treadwell? How, how many know who Timothy Treadwell is? Okay, very, very few. Don't give it away. Or you're out of the inheritance. Now, <laughs> Timothy Treadwell. Timothy Treadwell led a very depressed life because he was in line, in line to, to, to uh, play on the movie Cheers behind the bar, but Woody Harrelson got the spot. Timothy Treadwell didn't. He went into depression. 
to alleviate his depression, he moved from California to Alaska and began living, camping out in Alaska's wild frontier and began to befriend grizzly bears. He so cozied up to grizzly bears. He so lived with grizzly bears. He named the grizzly bears. He petted the grizzly bears. He fed the grizzly bears. He videoed them so much that Animal Planet picked up on it. And Timothy Treadwell became known as Grizzly Man. Now how many recall? Grizzly Man. Sure, much, many more hands. Oh, nice bear. I'm going to call you Scotty. Nice bear. Here, have a hunk of meat. And in one day, Timothy Treadwell, grizzly man, audio picked it up, was eating, was eaten by what he was feeding. And not just him, his girlfriend as well. What you feed not only grows, it can end up turning on you and destroying you, body, mind, and soul. To win over sexual sin like Joseph, it's not enough, though, to know God's word. We must obey it. We must obey it. Hear me, mom and dad. Hear me, mom and dad. Hear me, young people. I've pastored here long enough now to notice and see It's not enough to come up through Sunday school and memorize Scripture. It's not enough to be on the Bible quiz team and know a book of the Bible frontwards and backwards. It's not enough to know the promises of God. You must do them. In the church today, we can have many educated Christians that know God's Word, know God's ways, know God's will, but they don't do it. It's in the doing that power comes. It's in the doing where there's life. It's in the doing that'll take you to heaven. Genesis 39, verse 9, My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his what? Wife. Circle that. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin? Circle the word sin. Question. How did Joseph know about the sacredness of marriage? How did he know that adultery is sin? Moses will not give the Ten Commandments for another 400 years. Thou shalt not commit adultery. How did Joseph know these things? How did he know right from wrong? His dad, his parents had equipped him with the ways, the will of God toward these matters. Be aware of that. And Joseph obeyed the word of the Lord. Whose word are you going to follow? You basically have a choice. Just two choices. There's no middle ground in this. Today, right now, those of you that are listening to me in person or by video, you are either following God's word or you're following the devil's one-liners. There's no maybe, there's no neutrality in this. You know the devil's one-liners, don't you? Just as Satan whispered through Potiphar's wife, come, sleep with me, to Joseph. He whispers to us today with his one-liners. If it feels good, do it. 
How can it be so wrong when it feels so right? If you're not with the one you love, love the one you're with. What is moral is what you feel good about. What is immoral is what you feel bad about. You're weird if you're a virgin. Porn's no problem as long as you just watch it and you don't act it out. Everybody else is doing it. And it's okay to be gay. Whose word will you follow? Whose word are you going to count on to get you to heaven and make you right with God? God or Satan? Which one leads to real life, real joy, real happiness, real health? Whose word are you going to follow? Well, does God really say those things are wrong, Pastor? Well, let's... Let's hear what God says on the matter. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You see, God's not a killjoy. God wants us to have happiness. God wants us to enjoy the totality of the sexual drive that he has designed, created within us to enjoy within the covenant and the confines of marriage. God wants us to enjoy happiness in the here and now and in the hereafter. This leads to our third principle. Would you mark it down? To live in victory over sexual temptation, realize the consequences. Realize the consequences. Did you hear about the doctor's daughter in, in a small town in Iowa? The doctor's daughter that uh, sold her friends a bunch of birth control pills in high school. And in reality, you know, she told them they were birth control pills. In reality, they were aspirin. And there was a multiplicity Oh, yeah, she made a lot of money, but there was a multiplicity of unwanted pregnancies in, in this small Iowa town. You see, Hollywood, the Playboy crowd, the MTV crowd, and, uh, and so forth and so on, they won't tell you about the broken hearts. They won't tell you about the broken marriages, the broken families, the broken lives. The ruined reputations, the, the feelings of being used and, and abused, they won't tell you about the disease of body, mind, soul, and spirit. One doctor has, though, Dr. Robert C. Noble. Recently in Newsweek magazine, Dr. Robert C. Noble said this, I'm an infectious diseases physician, and passing out condoms to teenagers is like issuing them squirt guns for a four-alarm blaze. Using a condom that's not 100% safe for a disease that's 100% fatal is not safe sex. Abstinence and sexual intercourse with one mutually faithful, unaffected partner are the only totally effective prevention strategies. Unmarried people should not be having sex. Doctors cannot fix most of the things you can catch out there. There is no cure for AIDS, herpes, or genital warts. There is no safe sex. You may die.
But there's a worse consequence you need to remember. Proverbs chapter 7 warns about the greatest consequence of all when it comes to sexual sin. Proverbs chapter 7, listen to me, young men, and not only listen, but obey. And this goes for old men, young ladies, and old ladies. It goes for us all. Don't only listen, but obey. Don't let your desires get out of hand. Don't let yourself think about her. Her is a metaphor for sexual temptation, sexual sin. Don't go near her. Stay away from where she walks, lest she tempt you and seduce you. For she has been the ruin of multitudes, a vast host of men have been her victims. If you want to find the road to hell, look for her house. Look for her house. A teenage grandson came up to his grandfather, and, and he kind of viewed his, 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 his granddad as being out of date, old-fashioned. He viewed his, his granddad as being kind of antiquated, obsolete, you know, really out of it. He said, hey, Gramps, what did your generation do for safe sex? Grandpa, without hesitation, lifted up his hand and said, we wore a wedding ring. We wore a wedding, wedding ring. Remember, God never says no to the joy of sex. But God says, wait. Wait for marriage to enjoy sex. Why wait? There's no 100% safe sex to protect against disease or unwanted pregnancy. Why wait? There's no condom that can ever protect you from guilt, shame, regret. Why wait? Premarital sex can fool you into marrying the wrong person. The sexual act brings up emotions and feelings and stirs up a bond that can be the wrong foundation for a relationship. Good, solid relationships begin with friendship, companionship that lasts a lifetime. Relationships that begin in the sex act, instead of ending in the sex act, can often be doomed for disaster, a formula for disaster. Why wait? God's choice for the first time is not in the backseat of a Buick or down in some dark basement. God's choice for the first time is the honeymoon suite. Where there can be the total... Joy and love of the sexual experience. Why wait? There's no greater joy or love than committed love. There's no greater joy than when a husband-to-be, a bride-to-be, stands on a holy altar and publicly testifies of their commitment and their love to last a lifetime, to be a lifetime lover. That's committed love. And that's where the joy of sex can be so experienced at its totality. Why wait? God promises to bless the obedient. Why wait? Waiting brings real rewards. I've never heard of a couple that waited who said they regretted waiting. There was never anything more wonderful then on May the 6th, 1978, 
that I entered the honeymoon suite, that Becky entered the honeymoon suite on our honeymoon, and I had saved myself for only her and she for me. And to know that, there is such a joy and blessedness that becomes a formula for lifetime lovers. Write it down. To overcome sexual temptation and sin, remember God. Genesis 39.9, Joseph says, How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Sin against God. Joseph wasn't concerned with Potiphar's wife, with Potiphar. He wasn't concerned about his job by the Pharaoh or by Egypt. Joseph was focused on God. He was concerned about God. Yet so many, even in church circles, we have lost the fear of God. Years ago, I had an adulterer. Years ago, I had a man that believed that extramarital flings was just what a healthy marriage needed. And he looked me in the eye and he said, Preacher, you see, God and I have this understanding. I jumped out of the way because I got this thing about lightning. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. But don't just think of the fear of God. When you remember God, remember the one who said, be holy as I am holy. Come out from among them and be separate when you remember God, think of the one who loves you so much. He sent his very best, his only begotten son, to pay the price for your sins, to die for you. When you think of God, when you remember God, when the enemy pounces on you with temptation like a roaring lion, think of the nail-scarred hands that are being lifted up even right now. Think of the one who's praying for you right now because the enemy has desired you to sift you as wheat with sexual temptation, yet there's nail-scarred hands lifted up before the throne of God praying that your faith might not fail. So when you're tempted, think of God. Think of God. Victory over sexual sin comes by running from it and running to God's presence. Running from it and running to God. Genesis 39, 11, One day Joseph went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. Red flag, red flag, red flag. Let pastor just interject here. Avoid temptation situations. Identify your temptation situations. Joseph's in the house alone. At least he thought he was in the house alone. Verse 12, Potiphar's wife caught him by the cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Ran out of the house. Let me give you a very deep, profound, revelatory, theological, soteriological, eschatological word. When dealing with sexual temptation, 
Here's the answer. Run! Don't hesitate. Don't equivocate. Don't rationalize. Run! No amount of detente, negotiations with the, the devil will amount to anything. None of us, none of us, from pastor to parishioner, can withstand sexual temptation over a long period of time through our own mental ingenuity and self-discipline. Run! That's exactly what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Run from sex sin. Run! Don't see how close you can get to the fire without getting burnt. Don't wait until you're panting and breathing with passion as though you've just run the four-minute mile and then try to say no. Run! Run to you might mean not physical running. It might mean getting rid of that computer. For the rest of us, computers are no problem. For you, it's a constant temptation situation. Get rid of it. If thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off, Jesus said. For you, it might be a smartphone. For you, it might be the TV. Romance novels never tempt me one iota. For you, it might be your trap. What is it? Run from it. Get rid of it. Excise it. Commit spiritual surgery. Run. It might be a wrong relationship. It might be that guy you're dating. And you keep saying no, but he keeps touching. And you say no, and he keeps touching. You say no, and he says, but if you really love me, you'll... What a wimp. That's when you need to pray this prayer. Lord... You said in your word, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all your might. Extend your hand from the shoulder on down and slap him across the chops so his bells, his ears ring like chapel bells. Amen? Run! James chapter 4, verse 7, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Part of your, your running might be praying. When you're confronted with sexual temptation, pray this prayer. It's not very long. Here's the prayer. God will hear it. The prayer of faith will heal the sick. And some of us are sick with sexual addictions. You would be amazed at how many men and women right now in this church, and my heart goes out to you. Nobody else knows but God. And you hate yourself for it. You feel unworthy. You feel like you can't pray. You feel depraved and denigrated, and that's the enemy's job. He wants to paralyze you and immobilize you. He wants to keep you from being an effective Christian. And just as long as he can make you feel guilty, just that long, he'll quarantine you from the presence of God. And 
This is God's word to you this morning. There's hope. There's freedom. You don't have to be a victim. You can be a victor in Christ Jesus. There's healing. Cry out to God today. Help. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And the promise of God's word is he will lift you up. Resist the devil. Submit yourselves to God. The devil will flee from you. Run to God's presence. Be filled with his Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 and 23 says that one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. God will give you the desire that is the desire of the Holy Spirit to overcome your sexual desire that is sinful, that is wrong. Years ago, how many of you remember the commercials for that little brand new vacuum cleaner that was rechargeable? You know, that little portable vacuum cleaner? What was the name of that? Huh? I can't hear you. No, not the Swiffer. The Dust Buster. God's Spirit in you will make you a lust buster. Hallelujah. That'll preach. Pastor Ben, write that down. That's a good sermon title for you. Dust Buster, Lust Buster. There you go. I work all night for those. Write it down. You can overcome sexual sin by realizing you're not common or cheap, but in God's eyes, you're special. Pastor Hal and I will tell you, Pastor Ryan and Pastor Ben will tell you that in counseling, counseling, those who are sexual sinners, time and time and time again, we discover that they view themselves with an extreme low self-esteem. We'll tell you that either because they've been abused, used and abused in the past, they feel so cheapened that now there's no hope for beauty on the inside, and so they throw themselves at everything that comes their way because of such a poor self-image. Listen, Joseph never forgot his dreams. Joseph never forgot that God had a destiny upon his life, and the destiny was not the prison. It was the palace. Joseph never forgot it. The enemy's purpose with sexual sin is complete depravity. It's complete degradation. It's complete dehumanization, complete destruction in your life. For the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. Paul the Apostle would go on to say in 1 Corinthians, do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you've received from God. You are not your own. <laughs> you're precious. You're special. You're extravagant. You're priceless. You have been bought at a price. The price was not silver. The price was not gold. The price was not platinum or your visa car. The price was the precious blood of the Son of God. You were bought at the most precious price. You are priceless. Don't let the enemy of your soul cheapen you.
by saying that you can throw yourself at every Tom, Dick, and Harry that comes walking around with a crazy libido like some alley dog. That word temple there in that scripture verse literally means you are the holy of holies in which the spirit, the Shekinah glory of God dwells. I can remember times when I would go in when my children were little children and I'd lay my hand on Julie's head. I'd lay my hand on Jonathan's head. I'd lay my hand upon Jenny's head while they were sleeping and I would pray over them and I would pray, Lord, this vessel, this house was fashioned for the presence of the Lord and the enemy has no authority in this place. This body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and Lord, you have all authority here. Mom and Dad, you need to pray prayers like that too. You need to go into the bedrooms every night and lay hands upon their heads. That's the business of being a dad. That's the business of being a mom, a spiritual patriarch for the glory of God. When you're determined to be sold out and radical for Jesus, you can stand against the wind, a popular opinion. Hey, when the crowd urges you to slip between the sheets with somebody's name who you don't even know just to be popular... And to, to join the, the, the in crowd, uh, you just tell them my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking holy of holies. I'm not common. I'm not ordinary. I'm not cheap. I'm special. I've been bought at a price. Uh, I'm not going to compromise, cave in, or cop out. I'm not going to go down to the pig pen. I'm not going to lie with the pigs. I'm not a prodigal. I'm a prince. I'm a princess. I'm a child of God. I'm a king's kid. And I'm going to fight the good fight. Uh, I'm going to finish my course. I'm going to keep the faith. Lastly, claiming God's grace is key to experiencing victory over sexual sin. What's our last glimpse of Potiphar's wife? Our last glimpse labels her as a seductress, an adulteress, a woman bound up with the deceptiveness of lust. A cheating heart. The New Testament gives us a glimpse of another adulteress. Jesus was preaching and teaching, and right down the center aisle, while he's preaching to his congregation, in come the religious leaders dragging an adulterous woman they plop her down at the feet of Jesus as they interrupt Jesus and they said, this woman, we caught her in the very act of adultery. Not only did Jesus call the Pharisees whited sepulchers and snakes in the grass, he should have called them peeping toms. We caught her in the very act he ought, to, he ought to also call them uh, misogynist, uh, male chauvinist pigs. Last time I heard, it took two for adultery. Where was the man? You see, this was all about entrapment, not about righteousness. These religious leaders were trying to entrap Jesus. They knew the law of Moses said stone her. And they also knew that the Roman government had the power, the only authority for capital punishment. 
they had Jesus stuck, entrapped with no way out. What would Jesus do? For the only recorded time in all the Bible, Jesus begins writing. What did he write in the sand? I believe he wrote fornication, premarital sex, and then wrote a name. Adultery. The sin of adultery. And then wrote a name. Pornography. And wrote a name. Sexual addiction. And wrote a name. Homosexuality. Lesbianism. Foreign, or perversion. And wrote a name. Sins that are unmentionable. And he wrote a name. And the Bible says that from the oldest to the youngest, they slipped away. As Jesus said to them, He who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Let him cast the first stone. I believe that the woman is now trembling. Because she realizes she's in the presence of holiness, righteousness. He who has the power and the authority to cast the first stone. But what does, what does the master say? What did Jesus say? Woman, where are your accusers? No one accuses me, Lord. Then neither do I. Go and sin no more. And she walked away free, clean, joyful, with hope as Jesus extended grace. Go and sin no more. The word of the Lord to you and I this morning is this in 1 John 1 8. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, God never punishes us for sinning. God punishes us for not repenting of sin. Honey, sir, ma'am, young person, do you have a lifestyle of repentance in this sex-saturated society, in this X-rated culture? You and I need to constantly walk with repentant hearts. Because we need to repent of what our eyes see, what goes on in our mind, if not in the act itself. We need to repent. But pastor, pastor, I've committed fornication. I've had sex before I was married. His grace is greater. But pastor, I slept, I slept with a girl at work, a guy at work that I'm not married to. His grace is greater. But pastor, I've fallen into the gay lifestyle. His grace is greater. But pastor, I'm, I'm hooked. I'm pornography. His grace is greater. 
Pastor, I've thought things. I've seen things. I've engaged in things. I cannot even mention here this morning. His grace is greater. His mercy, His forgiveness, His love is infinite. You can never exhaust His grace by your sin. No pit of sexual sin is so deep. His grace is greater still. Hallelujah. Receive His grace this morning. Repent and receive his grace. There's grace for the fallen. So how was Joseph rewarded for his integrity? Yeah, 10 years in prison. Big decision. But he felt it was worth it. Because he hung on to his dreams in God. His promises in God. And because he held to his integrity... The pathway from the prison was to the palace. How important was that decision to hold to his integrity? Dad, how important? Mom, young person, how important is it for you to hold to your integrity? How important was Joseph's decision? Write it down. If Joseph had compromised his integrity, the Jewish race would have perished. Jesus would not have been born. And we would be a people without hope. Your decisions will ultimately determine your destiny. Would you stand with me this morning quietly? I would ask that there be no moving around. This is God's holy moment. I said, this is God's holy moment. As I penned this message, two men came to my mind. Of course, Joseph but also a man who has just made a major confession, Charlie Sheen. Both men had fathers. Joseph had Jacob. Charlie had Martin Sheen. But that's where the differences begin. Joseph was brought up godly. So on the day when the pressure was brought on, he made God's choice. Joseph was brought up godly. Charlie was brought up godless. Joseph had a God-given dream. You can read about it in the Bible. He dreamt of stars. That he would become God's great star. Charlie has always had a dream that his star would be on Hollywood Boulevard. Joseph ended up in prison. Charlie Sheen ended up with the number one TV series. I've never watched it. What is it? One and a half men? Two and a half men? Help me out. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. 
Joseph, falsely accused, falsely betrayed, rejected, left to rot in an Egyptian hellhole. Charlie Sheen, at the time, the number one highest paid TV actor. More than a million dollars every episode. Every episode. Every episode. Joseph, integrity, lust free. Charlie Sheen, lust full. Joseph went from the prison to the palace, vice president of the mightiest empire of his generation fulfilled his destiny and purpose in God, saved the entire Jewish race. We're here today because of Joseph. Charlie. Lustfulness caused him to embrace perversion. And then his confession, HIV. AIDS, the only 100% fatal disease. A ruined body, a ruined reputation, classified as a fool. This morning I've given you purity principles. How to be a victor instead of a victim. It works. If you don't believe me, just ask Joseph. Just ask Charlie Sheen. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask here this morning, Holy Spirit, that Lord, that you would grip the heart and the mind of every person here today from young to old, for none are without sin. Lord, we need your grace. Lord, even the one holding this microphone right now, I need your grace. I thank you for your amazing grace. Lord, there's grace here this morning. Grace that is greater than all of our sins. You never judge us for our sins. You judge us for not repenting from our sins. Lord, we need your amazing grace here this morning. As every head is bowed and eyes are closed here this morning, how many are here today? And you would lift up your hands. I'm not going to call anyone out or call anyone down here. How many would lift your hand and say, Lord, I need your grace. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Just lift it up to Jesus or lift it up in your heart. Yes, yes, yes. Throughout this assembly, Lord, I need your grace. I receive your grace. 
just before we go this morning, the team up here is going to sing for us. Dawn, I'd like us to sing, we are here to worship you. And I'm going to invite you. Your pastor is going to ask you. I urge you to do what I'm going to invite you to do. I'm going to ask for the women to gather here on my left. I'm going to ask for the men to gather here on my right. Pastor Ryan and Julie, I would like the young men and the young ladies to come first and for us to follow. Would all of the men and all of the ladies that are under 25, I want to invite you to come right now as Dawn and the team sing. We are here to worship.